You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. And I think in this sense, it is very much like our commitment to follow Jesus. And as I stand before you, I would say, then do it. You know, as we are instructed in the Word of God. You know, see Jesus upon the throne of your lives, upon your heart. Now do it. It is very much like our commitment to follow Jesus. We should be told, now then, to do it. You know, sometimes something now needs to be decided. Throughout your walk with the Lord, there are moments when you're faced with a choice. You have to decide if you're going to go your own way or if you're going to follow God's plan. That's exactly what Pastor Mike encourages you to do in today's message. He says you should do it. Reach out to the Lord and let Him lead you into the abundant life that He died to give you. And while life will still be full of ups and downs, His presence will saturate your daily experience as you walk in step with Him. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 3 as he continues his message, Pitfalls of Power. Then her husband went along with her, weeping behind her. And so Abner said to him, go return. And he returned. Okay, so notice here, once again, Abner wastes no time making good on his threat. And so Abner then tries to diplomatically unite the tribes under David. And notice Abner's message here. You know, as he speaks to the various heads of the tribes, the elders of the tribes of Israel, the message that he delivers contains no trace of contrition, no acknowledgement of wrongdoing. There's no humility. Remember, he's actually going against what God wanted to do, and that was to place David upon the throne over all of Israel. So he rebelled against that. The people of Israel... Uh, as far as Abner was concerned, didn't matter to him. And think about all those who died in the Civil War under Abner's command. So there's no remorse, there's no repentance, there's no contrition. His only interest is the advancement of his own ambitions. You see, really, he, he wanted to be king over Israel. Now, David is no novice. Remember, he's trying to make this agreement with David. He's jockeying to get a position within David's administration, as I've already mentioned. But David is no novice. And he is hip to what is going on here. 
He knows who Abner is and what Abner is all about. And so how could he know Abner was genuine in his offer? And what's the answer to that question? Saul's daughter, Michal. Saul's daughter, David's first wife, who had been given to Paul T.L. by Saul to humiliate David. And David must have often thought about his restoring Michal to himself as his wife. And so Abner, bringing Michal to David, tested the genuineness of his offer. David also realizes that her presence in Hebron, where David presently was, will serve a second purpose. And what was that second purpose? Well, those who were loyal to Saul would be more inclined to switch their allegiance to David, knowing that in Saul's daughter, they have a friend at court. Now, also at this point, someone may be thinking, well, isn't David committing adultery again? Well, remember, Saul gave Michal to another to hurt David. They were never divorced. Michal had no say in that transaction. And remember, it was during that time when Michal was given to another that David was actually forced into exile. And also notice that there's no objection by Ishbosheth or Paul Tiel. Well, anyway, once Michal is with David in Hebron, Abner begins the occupation of bringing all of Israel to him. He visits with the elders of each tribe. Okay, let's pick up now in verses 17 through 21. Now Abner had communicated with the elders of Israel, saying, In time past, you were seeking for David to be king over you. So he's reminding them about this. Now then, do it. And we're going to come back to that phrase, do it, because I think there's something important that I need to draw to your attention. So we're going to revisit that phrase in just a moment. Now then, do it, for the Lord has spoken of David, saying, By the hand of my servant David, I will save my people, Israel, from the hand of the Philistines and the hand of all their enemies. And Abner also spoke in the hearing of Benjamin, that is the tribe of Benjamin. Then Abner also went to speak in the hearing of David in Hebron, all that seemed good to Israel and the whole house of Benjamin. So Abner and 20 men with him came to David at Hebron, and David made a feast for Abner, and the men who were with him. Then Abner said to David, I will arise and go and gather all Israel to my lord the king, and they may make a covenant with you, and that you may reign over all that your heart desires. And so David sent Abner away and went in peace. Okay, so Abner, notice, had communicated with the elders of Israel. And I think that it is significant that this word came from Abner regarding David instead of coming from David himself. It wasn't David reasoning with the other elders of Israel to enthrone him as Israel's king. Though he was the rightful king, David would not reign over Israel until they submitted to him freely. He never moved an inch without an invitation. Now remember, in the Old Testament there are these types. And if you remember, in one of our previous studies, I had suggested that David is sort of like a type of Jesus Christ. 
And therefore, it has been suggested on this point that this is an illustration of Jesus' lordship in our life. He is, in fact, king, even as David was already anointed as king over Israel. He is, in fact, Jesus, king of kings and lord of lords. But he chooses, that is, for the most part, to exercise his sovereignty only at our invitation. And there are only three responses that we can give him. What are they? Well, some do not invite Jesus to rule over anything. So they hear the message. They know that Jesus is the Lord and Savior, that he's the King of Kings, but they don't want to have anything to do with that. And they don't allow him to rule and reign over their lives. The second response, some invite Jesus to reign over a small area like the southern kingdom, uh, there that David set up uh, himself in the city of Hebron. And so that would suggest that there are certain Christians, the first group, you know, don't want to have anything to do with Jesus at all. The second group, you know, allow Jesus to reign over part of their lives, but they won't completely submit themselves to the lordship of Jesus Christ. You know, they're continuing to hold on to certain things that they feel bring them fulfillment or satisfaction, and maybe some kind of uh, sin within their lives. So that's the second response. And there are, I don't really know if you can even refer to them as Christians. I guess they would fall into the category. I don't even know if there is such a thing as a category like this, but carnal Christians, you know, who only allow Jesus to rule and reign over part of their lives. You know, they won't completely surrender. And then the third response is some give Jesus reign over everything. And thus he has authority over which is everything in a person's life. And so I would recommend that you respond in that third way. So anyway, I just wanted to throw that into the mix, give you something to think about. Well, anyway, you know, something else that's very interesting here, concerning Abner. Remember, Abner is in completely in rebellion against what God wanted to perform, and that is to bring David upon the throne of Israel. And so what do we see in this? Remember now, Abner is actually being used of God to see David as the king over Israel. So what's interesting here is that even when ungodly people like Abner do what God wants done, he may prosper and bless them. Bless their cause. So again, what do we take away from this? Well, God is always in control. He's working behind the scenes, pushing all of the buttons, orchestrating all of the details, right? Uh, pulling all of the strings. You know, this reminds me of what is recorded first in the 76th Psalm in verse 10, where there we are told, surely the wrath of man shall praise you. Okay, now also, I want to go back to that phrase again in verse 18. Let's go back there just for a moment. Now then, do it. Now, this was the instruction, this was the exhortation that Abner had given to the elders of Israel. Notice there once again in verse 18, he says, now then, do it. In other words, move to place uh, David upon the throne. And I think in this sense, it is very much like our commitment to follow Jesus. And as I stand before you, I would say, then do it. You know, as we are instructed in the word of God. You know, see Jesus upon the throne of your lives, upon your heart. Now do it. It is very much like our commitment to follow Jesus. We should be told, 
now then to do it. You know, sometimes something now needs to be decided. And in fact, if we never make that decision, until sin is hated and Jesus is trusted, you are under another king, a hard taskmaster. You're serving an Ishbosheth or an Abner. So again, something to uh, consider, something to uh, think about. Now, David's meeting with Abner had taken place while Joab, David's general, so don't mix up the two. Remember, Abner is Ishbosheth's general in the north. Israel, but Joab is David's general. And during this time that Abner had met with David and entered into this agreement, this covenant, Joab was on a raid. So he wasn't present when Abner came and they entered into this contractual agreement. That is, you know, speaking to the elders of Israel and and them agreeing to uh, hail David as their king. In fact, They were constantly at war with the nations south of their borders, as well as to the east and to their uh, west. Okay, let's pick up now in verses 22 through 38. At that moment, the servants of David and Joab came from a raid, so now they've come back where David was in Hebron, and brought much spoil with them, so they were obviously successful in their battle, but Abner was not with David in Hebron. So Abner had already been dismissed, and he's heading back home, or he's going back to speak to the elders of Israel. For he had, that is David, sent him away, and he had gone in peace. Now when Joab, that is David's general, and all the troops that were with him had come, they told Joab, saying, Abner, the son of Ner, came to the king, David, and he sent him away, and he has gone in peace. So there is this, uneasy, this uneasiness about this alliance that David had made with Abner. Then Joab came to the king and said, What have you done? And notice, he doesn't request an audience with David. He just barges in. And he asked the question, What have you done? Look, Abner came to you. Why is it that you had sent him away? And he has already gone. Surely you realize that Abner the son of Ner came to deceive you. In other words, he's suggesting that he's a double agent. To know you're going out and you're coming in. And to know all that you are uh, doing. But you know what? I I think that there's a little bit of Joab being concerned. Uh, He's threatened by Abner. He's thinking maybe that he would be removed as David's general, and Abner would be put in his place. So I I think that uh, Joab is actually threatened by Abner here, and that's really behind his barging in and uh, confronting David here. And when Joab had gone from David's presence, he sent messengers after Abner, and David knew nothing about this. And so Abner thinks here that he has been royally summoned back by David, which wasn't the truth. So once again, we read in verse 26, and when Joab had gone from David's presence, David didn't know anything about this, he sent messengers after Abner, who brought him back from the well of Sirah, but David did not know it. Now when Abner had returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside. So he he didn't have 
an opportunity to visit with David. Still, David didn't know about this meeting between Joab and Abner. So Joab took him aside in the gate to speak with him privately, and there he stabbed him in the stomach. And so he died for the blood of Asahel, his brother. And remember, it was Abner who actually killed Joab's brother, Asahel. And so uh, this was his excuse uh, that he made for his killing Abner. And uh, afterward, when David heard it, so obviously David now has become aware of what had taken place, this plot uh, to kill Abner, he said, my kingdom and I are guiltless. In other words, I had nothing to do with the murder of Abner. Before the Lord forever of the blood of Abner, the son of Ner. Let it rest on the head of Joab. So he, he's about to pronounce a curse upon Joab for what he had done. And on all his father's house, that is all of Joab's father's house, all of his blood relatives. And let there never fail to be in the house of Joab, one who has a discharge or is a leper, who leans on a staff or falls by the sword or who lacks uh, bread. So what's David doing here? He's just simply leaving the judgment up to God. In other words, he's not going to move to judge Joab. He's just leaving it with uh, God. So Joab and Abishai, his brother, killed Abner because he had killed their brother Asiel at Gibeon in the battle. But I think it's actually more than that. Again, I think it was, there was something about Joab thinking about that Abner was going to be set in his place by Joab. Then David said to Joab and to all the people who were with him, tear your clothes, gird yourselves with sackcloth. This is the way that they mourn the loss of a loved one or a great person. And mourn for Abner, and King David followed the coffin. So he wanted the people, that is David, he wanted the people to know that his mourning over the loss of Israel's uh, leader was genuine. And once again, that he had nothing to do with it. So they buried Abner in Hebron, and the king lifted up his voice, David, and wept at the grave of Abner, and all the people wept. And the king sang a lament over Abner and said, so this is David's eulogy, should Abner die as a fool dies? Your hands were not bound, nor your feet put into fetters. As a man falls before wicked men, referring to Joab, so you fell. Then all the people wept over him again. There, uh, according to that text of scripture, all of the people wept. And when all the people came to persuade David to eat food, so David uh, fasted, while it was still day, David took an oath saying, God so do to me and more also if I taste bread or anything else the sun goes down. This was a part of his morning. He wouldn't eat anything. Now all the people took note of it and it pleased them since whatever the king did pleased all of the people. This was the favor that God had bestowed upon David. Everything that he did pleased the people. For all the people and all Israel understood that day that it had not been the king's intent to kill Abner, the son of Ner. Then the king said to his servants, Do you not know that a prince 
referring to Abner, and a great man has fallen this day here in Israel. Okay, so again, what do we take away from all of this? Well, uh, again, Joab thought only of himself and the possibility of his losing his position of power there in the kingdom, there particularly in uh, Judah. And uh, so what do we, again, what do we take away from this? We need to avoid the pitfalls of uh, power. And in every situation, in every case, we need to put God uh, first. Now David, however, also realizes, you know, why did, like on, on other occasions, David, when someone did something like this, you know, shed the blood of what he considered an innocent man, he would call for some of his military to slay that individual. And, uh, but such was not the case with Joab. So why was that? Well, David, David, however, also realizes that he's powerless to oppose Joab, for he has the army under his control. Remember, Joab is uh, the general of the army. And that army was under Joab's control. And that might easily lead, if he would have killed Joab, uh, lead to a coup attempt. And that is why he says, notice in verse 39, And I am weak today, though anointed king, and these men, so he's thinking about, you know, I should have killed them, but I didn't. And so notice here, he refers to himself as being weak, although he is anointed king. And these men, the sons of Zariah, referring to Joab, are too harsh for me. The Lord shall repay, again, just leaving it in God's hands to judge him, the evildoer according to his wickedness. Okay, you see, David had a realistic view of himself and his situation. You know, I, I think that this is so very, very important. You know, in life's experience, we come into a place where we're faced with an enemy that's greater than ourselves. We don't have the capacity to be able to respond or to do the things that we want to do. The enemy is greater than ourselves. In those cases, what shall we do? I mean, it's so important that we have a realistic view because if we get out in front of God, we're going to pay severely for doing that. So what does David do? He leaves it in the hands of God. Notice he brings his vulnerability uh, before the Lord. And he just simply casts himself upon God. He made him the source of his strength. And gang, I would encourage you to do likewise when you are faced with an enemy that is greater than yourself. It's so important that we have a realistic view of our particular situations before we respond. Just leave it with the Lord and allow him to be our source of strength. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, where I long to be. We're so glad you joined us today for In My Father's House. Pastor Mike has been taking you through the book of 2 Samuel, an Old Testament book that continues the story of David. David was a great king, loved by many, and forever etched in history as a man after God's heart. Yet, he wasn't perfect. God used David in powerful ways, even after he had failed. 
And God can use you, too. Are you still seeking the Lord? Are you repentant when you fall? God sees your heart, and He's merciful, and He has great plans for you. Continue to trust in His goodness and faithfulness, and let Him use you to bring glory to His name and share the good news of the hope that's found in Christ. If you'd like to explore more messages from Pastor Mike, visit HarvestNYC.org or find the podcast on your favorite podcast app. Be sure to subscribe. That way you'll be notified every time we post a new edition of the show. Just search for In My Father's House with Mike Venizio. If you're in Midtown Manhattan, we'd love for you to come visit us this Sunday at Harvest Christian Fellowship. There's easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. Find out more on our website, harvestnyc.org. Make plans to join us on Thursdays, too. We're meeting virtually to jump back into the Word midweek and worship the Lord. That starts at 7.30 p.m. online at harvestnyc.org. That's all we have time for today. Join us again for more right here on In My Father's House.